Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. What's shaking, everybody? Hey, everyone. So, this week, we're going to do another media-tied episode, because another series has been converted to, you know, from the pages to the screen, and that that series is Sweet Tooth. You mind giving us a little bit of the credentials for the sh- for the comic, Drew? The, the credits? I don't have all sure. the credentials. But I, I do know the credits because I got them right in front of me. So Sweet Tooth is a series that was published by Vertigo Comics, the imprint of DC that they laid to rest in ignominious fashion a few years ago. But it was originally printed in 2009 to 2013, I believe. Jeff Lemire is the creator. He did the line art and wrote the story. Jose Villarubia was the colorist. Pat Brousseau was the letterer. It was a 40-issue series. There were a couple issues that had guest artwork from the likes of uh, Emmy Lennox, Matt Kent, Nate Powell. But for the most part, it was the Jeff Lemire and Jose Villarubia show. Definitely one of the last truly great Vertigo series before they were put to pasture. Yeah, I'd say so too. It's. I feel like in the final days of Vertigo, it, they... The big things, at least in terms of sales or recognition, uh, I don't know how Sweet Tooth did in terms of sales, but I think in terms of quality, it was definitely like up there as one of the contenders for the best, if not the best thing. I think at the time, the other thing that was going on was like American Vampire, but I, I can't say that that was anywhere near as good, but <laughs> I do think it was popular american vampire put scott snyder on the map it did it did so it's the baby hitler of snyder's works (laughs) wait why is it the baby hitler uh it was the foreshadowing of the force that he would become so so you're saying that american (laughs) vampire is baby hitler and new 52 batman and court of owls and all that stuff was hitler yeah that is wow. If if we this, had this drowned podcast episode American has already gone vampire. in a direction I did not anticipate. <laughs> if we had drowned American Vampire in the crib, then we would not have all those things. We would not have Court of Owls. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people liked Hitler. Batman. Yeah. They all- <laughs> <laughs> no. No, That's true. no, he wasn't popular. <laughs> well, he he did uh, rise to power in his country. He had his. He was popular country. to somebody at least. Yeah, yeah, that is that is true. <laughs> uh, I can sense your nervous laughter. <laughs> Man, sweet tooth though, I do think that the sales on that were at least pretty good for a vertigo title yeah i wouldn't say i don't have the numbers or anything i didn't do any research but just yeah. based on what i do know sweet tooth it, it's it's one of those series where when jeff lemire started it and i know this from reading interviews with him but i know when he started it it wasn't guaranteed that he was gonna get 40 issues to do his thing yeah 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 you know like he 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 said that when he began the story he already knew how it was going to end and 
he basically had the last issue of it already outlined or prepared in his own mind. But the only question was, how long would he have in order to get there? And I think he was prepared to, like, he had a plan, a backup plan, you know, like if he had to end it at like issue 10 or 12, yeah, it, he would have been able to do that with his ending. But fortunately, the sales were good enough to justify, uh, to justify the series lasting as long as it did. Yeah. So he was able to, you know, populate the world and, yeah, and do a lot with all and the, tell the story that he wanted to tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we should all be so fortunate to have writers that were as competent and had as much foresight as that. But yeah, additionally, I would say that I think I think he's a guy that had a somewhat opposite trajectory from American Vampire in the sense that. Sweet Tooth did, you know, put him on the map, but I think he's definitely grown a lot more popular in recent years, so much so to the point where, uh, you know, with the release of the, well, so much so to the point where, one, he was able to get a Netflix show out of his series, and two, uh, DC decided to give him a chance to revisit the world of Sweet Tooth with a new miniseries. It's a mm-hmm. miniseries, right? Or it's not a yeah. actual, yeah. Six-issue miniseries from the Black Label. yeah. I haven't read it yet. I'm waiting for the collected edition. For sure. It's definitely on my list to buy when it comes out in a hardcover edition, so I can put up put it with my with my deluxe hardcovers. I don't even know if they're going to make a hardcover of Sweet Tooth the Return because from what I saw in the solicitations, they've only announced a paperback. Yeah. Well, I've had enough experiences where I've bought the paperback only for them to put out a hardcover to know that I'm not going to do that. So maybe the only way they'll they'll make the hardcover is after you personally buy the paperback because they just want to mess with you. Oh, well, if that's the point, then what they've done without realizing it is they've given me the power to ruin the lives of a lot of people. Because if you're saying that through sheer spite alone, I could deny other people a comic in a hardcover form. I would do that. I would do that as easily as I would curb stomp baby Hitler. <laughs> Total dead eyes. So if American Vampire is baby Hitler, is Sweet Tooth baby Churchill? Or what is Sweet Tooth? Oh, man. Uh, he, he could be... Uh, well, I if we're going to put it in those terms, I I guess I was going to go with FDR. Okay, okay. You know, uh, you know, he's he's a, a little baby FDR in the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's that? That that's cool. That's cool. I I I guess I was I was going to ask you if uh ask you who was leading Canada during World War II, but I, because Jeff Lemire is Canadian, but I guess it doesn't matter because I don't think Scott Snyder is German or anything. That's true. He's not, as far as I can tell. Snyder's yeah. not a German last name, is it? Regardless. Snyder is. Huh. Maybe he changed his name. It could have been one of those things where, like, when his immigrant family came from, you know, Germany, like, 
because they misspelled a bunch of stuff. It went from Schneider to or Schneider to Snyder. Yes. <laughs> Schneider. I'll get to the chopper. It's not a tumor. Everything that Albert knows about German is from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's not even German. He's Austrian. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, in brief, um, Sweet Tooth is the story of a post-apocalyptic world in which society has fallen due to a plague. Wow, that's a that's a scary bit of that's a scary bit of like meta kind of hits close to home, don't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, society has fallen due to this uh plague that's wiping out the human species as we know it, but concurrently with the spreading of this virus there's a new breed of humans that are showing up which are hybrid animals uh you know they're they're they they have the forms of humans but they're they have animal features and sweet tooth is the story of a young boy who has deer antlers and just his journey through this post-apocalyptic world um Am I missing any details that you feel are relevant or should be mentioned, Drew? I'd probably say the big thing is that it's not just a story about a boy, but it's also the story of an old man and their journey together. That That's true. That's, that's pretty true. central to the story. Yeah. It's, it's the emotional heart of everything in yeah. Sweet Tooth. Um, yeah. And... The whole thing about the two main characters is that Gus, whose nickname is Sweet Tooth, that's why the story is called Sweet Tooth, Gus is this kid who basically grew up kind of in isolation from society, uh, raised by his single father, never really encountered any other people. And his father basically told him to stay away from other people because it was dangerous, which is true because as a hybrid kid uh his life would be in danger uh just because all of the remaining humans that have survived the plague banded together into kind of tribal societies and they don't really look too kindly on these hybrid children so if we've learned anything about humans it's whenever there's anything different there's a good chance that instead of embracing it they'll try to kill it (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So these kids started being born right at the onset of the virus or the the mysterious plague. And by the time the story begins, a good number of years has passed, probably at least like seven or nine years have passed since the plague first really ravaged humanity. And... Early on in the story, Gus meets the old man after Gus's father dies. And this old man, older man's name is Jeppard. He's he's a guy who kind of wanders the wastelands. And I guess without spoiling too much about the story, they just end up meeting together and 
setting forth on a journey. Um, and and Jeopard is he's more of a hardened kind of soul. You know, he's he's been through hell on earth. His loved yeah. ones have, have died. And he just all he really knows how to do is fight and survive and uh, kill other people to defend himself if necessary. Yeah. He's, he's really is... just a, a, a man who's kind of violent at his core, but through yeah. meeting Gus, uh, he learns how to basically learns how to love again. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty stark contrast to Gus. Cause he's just a sweet kid. Very you know? innocent. Yeah. yeah. Pure. Pure, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. And and the, the contrast between the two lead characters fuels a lot of the storytelling and the how they approach and react and process the adventures that they go on. It's yeah, and I, I guess you can sur- anyone who hasn't read it or watched it can probably surmise that because of their two differences, the fact that they spend so much time with each other, it's kind of about both of them learning from each other, you know, like Jeopard learns how to love again and he learns how to, I guess, a sen- he learns a, a sense of, you know, softness from Gus and Gus learns how to survive in a harsh world. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty accurate uh, way to put it, I'd say. Mhm. Mhm. And for for those of you who are wondering why is it called Sweet Tooth, the reason why it's called Sweet Tooth is because that's Gus's nickname, and it's his nickname because he likes chocolate. That's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. So Gus, so Jeopard constantly calls him Sweet Tooth. He doesn't really. In the beginning, he doesn't even really call him by his real name. He just calls him Sweet Tooth. Yeah. So, I guess I'd have to ask before we move on, but what was your... What what compelled you to to read this series or to seek it out in the first place, Drew? Uh, just being a Vertigo fan, I'd say. Um, you know, always... Well, not always, but I liked... I got into Vertigo comics when I was when I was in college. Growing up in the 90s, uh, when Vertigo first launched, I was aware of the books, like obviously Sandman and Hellblazer. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Early on, those were the big ones. I, I knew what I heard heard of them, kind of knew what they were, but never really read them because I was I was just a kid. I was more interested in superhero comics at the time, but. When I got older, I started reading. Trying to, I started trying to expand my my reading uh, in comics, and that's how I ended up giving Vertigo books a shot and read a whole bunch of them. So by the time Sweet Tooth came out, I was, you know, pretty heavy into the Vertigo titles, and I don't think I actually read Sweet Tooth immediately. I ended up borrowing it from the library. Uh, after the probably sometime around uh, the first couple trades had come out, and at that point, uh, you know, I, I knew it was good stuff because I'd heard good things about Jeff Lemire. I think I'd even read some of his other uh, indie comics, maybe I can't remember, mm-hmm. but I knew I knew his name for sure. 
borrowed the first couple volumes from the library and then as a as the other ones came out as the series progressed i was checking them out so yeah that's that's how i discovered sweet tooth just being a vertigo head okay what about you man um so jeff lemire was someone who was definitely on my radar radar prior to sweet tooth uh if only because I came across uh, one of his earlier works at the library by accident, or not by accident, but I, I just happened to stumble across uh, Tales from Essex County. And I didn't mm-hmm. even read the whole thing. I just read like the first, one of the first short stories, like the first chunk of it. And yeah. I was convinced enough by that, that, uh, you know, this guy, he had some talent, you know, so um, I remember... I, I I hadn't heard anything about Sweet Tooth, but I recognized the name and the art style. Because um, Jeff Lemire is one of those creators who who does his own art and he writes. And he, he has a pretty distinctive art style, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, whenever you see how he draws uh, characters, it, it's pretty obviously him, you know? Yeah. So I remember... Um, after reading Tales from Essex County, I, I might not even have known his or uh, uh, maintained his name uh, in my memory at that point, but I definitely recognized his artwork. Mm-hmm. So when I saw Sweet Tooth, I was like, oh, this is this is that same guy. So I remember borrowing it. And, you know, on the, on the face of it, I was I, I read the description and it was like, oh, it's just another post-apocalyptic survival story like you know something akin to the road or the walking dead or whatever right wait wait you mean it's like mad max meets bambi uh yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) but you know i i'll admit that somewhere in the back of my mind i was skeptical like i didn't I don't think I went into it thinking that I was going to love it. Like this was still, you know, very early on in in my exposure to Jeff Lemire. So even though I had read uh, Essex County and I did enjoy that, I was, I don't know. I wasn't ready to commit to believing that he could do, you know, he could do no wrong essentially. Right. So, so I picked it up. And I ended up reading it, uh, like the first trade, and I was hooked. I was pretty into it, man. Like yeah. from from that point on, I was just like, this uh, this series is uh, it's something special, for sure. Yeah, pretty much from page one, man. It, it's there's just something about it that invites you in as a reader, draws you into the story, and and uh, by the time you finish that first issue, man, like. There's just no way that you're not going to want to read what happens next. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I love about Jeff Lemire, and this this might come sound like a slight, but um, I, I, I mean it in the best way possible, which is he is pretty good at being economical about his usage of words. So even though it's doesn't have a lot of words like you get the full effect of the story from all of 
its various moving parts, right? The art yeah. combined with what few words he does use and, uh, you know, the, the, the storytelling from panel to panel, like all those things combined are used to just maximum effect, you know, to, to, to just maximize the full amount of emotion, emotional impact of what he's trying to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that arises from the fact that he is the writer and the artist. Yeah. Because he can yeah. trust himself to tell the story with his art. He doesn't have to describe exactly. or over overuse exposition to help the reader make sense of it. He can exactly. trust that his art is doing that work too, you know? And he, yeah. when he does write uh, a lot of... like he, he'll, It's not like he doesn't write narrative captions or anything like that because... He definitely does use them in Sweet Tooth. Yeah. And there are certain issues that do have a lot more uh, text, mm-hmm. but it, it's all in service to the story, ultimately. Yeah. It's and, not wasted. Yeah, it's it's not wasted at all. He yeah. He's able to, uh, you know, present scenes that don't have any words because you as the reader, you can... You can see the emotion just from reading yeah, the art. Exactly. You know? It's kind of like Gus how if you're watching... I don't need him to tell me he's sad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can see it in his, yeah. in his face and his body language, even in the moodiness of the coloring. It yeah, it all conveys the appropriate emotion that it's meant to evoke. It's kind of oh, like how when you watch a movie or a TV show. You don't always need the characters to describe or uh, speak to the camera to to tell you what they're feeling. You can let the actors act. Yeah. And the best comic book artists are able to make their characters act without having to rely yeah. on a uh, you know a needless little description in yeah. the panel. I am sad now. Tears are coming down my face. <laughs> Are you okay, Albert? I thought I just told you. <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing when you say you are sad and tears are coming down your face, but you start laughing. That sounds like the behaviors of a madman or someone who's bipolar. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we are we. What we do, we do in service of our craft. So I'm committed to communicating my emotions you use a method actor i'm a method liver okay i I live by method my (laughs) man (laughs) i don't know what that means but as long as as long as you ain't baby hitler man i'm it's all good oddly enough it reminds me of this episode of i want to say it was like star trek voyager and it was about how like the crew they don't crash land but they end up on this planet this uh i have no other way to describe it but this primitive planet that kind of echoes like uh the greeks or the romans or something like that and mm-hmm. it was about how the some of the crew were living amongst these people this species and they were they were the the people on this planet. Uh, one of the people that they had uh, ingratiated themselves to was like a 
like their version of a playwright, you know, like alien Shakespeare or not even <laughs> Shakespeare. It's, they were like Greeks or Romans, so it'd probably be like alien Homer or something like that, you know? Not alien Scott Snyder? Not alien Scott Snyder, no, no, not at all. So they would do these plays and, you know, they they have these... I guess, yeah, they have these uh, uh, methods of telling their story that are, I guess, archaic by our standards, but it sort of makes sense where where it wouldn't just be people acting it out, but they would it would be the actors saying, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know what their emotions were. It was, yeah, very much like. Like an ancient Greek tragedy or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, so, uh, yeah, that's that was my anecdote on that. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's fair. It's it's uh something that calls to mind a different era or time period because over time storytelling does evolve. Yeah, for it's not for sure. It's not unexpected, but I, I guess since we're talking about modern day comic books the comic books that we'll read today or even like any time in the past 20 years are pretty different from the comics from let's say 35 years ago you know yeah yeah for sure like you can def it's a medium where you can definitely see the artists and writers evolve and learn from their predecessors in terms of how yeah. to improve the craft and and refine it and hone it. By the time we get Sweet Tooth, you know this is Jeff Lemire. He's like he's already done his own comics, so it's not like he's a a newcomer or anything. He's, he he did his own indie comics. Yeah. Uh, and and seeing him do this over at at DC and Vertigo, it's uh. It's fresh, man. Like, I look at it and compare it to stuff that that we see today, and it's you know, there's there's not too much stuff that I've seen recently that, at least from the big two, that can really compare to something like Sweet Tooth. Yeah, yeah. Like that I, that whole era of creativity has sort of passed this by, I guess, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. DC Forest has black indeed. label now, but we're not seeing, yeah, exactly. We're not seeing any more, any more sweet tooths pop up unless it's just literally a new sweet tooth, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like I can't, yeah, I'm with you. I can't really think of anything in recent years that can let, let's say that black label is their stand in for vertigo because you know, they wiped out Vertigo and just turned it all into Black Label. But uh, let's say that those two are comparable just for the sake of discussion. Uh, I can't think of anything that's come out of Black Label that even comes close to 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 something from uh, to, to something like Sweet Tooth, you know? Exactly. And and even when I think about what we have gotten from Black Label, man. It, it's like a bunch of different Joker comics, a few yeah. Harley comics. <laughs> it's still steeped very much in the like standard DC universe, the superhero, yeah. supervillain stuff. 
The so only thing even, is that the Joker can say the F word now. Yeah, exactly. Whereas with Vertigo Comics, we were getting things... They were taking a chance on things that had nothing to do with your standard cape and cowl stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. There was... There, there's no... There's no baby Hitler coming out from Black Label today, is there? I'm sure there's someone out there somewhere who's going to be the next big thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what Tinyon Taylor. Uh, <laughs> James Tinian. Yeah. The fourth. The fourth backslash asterisk hashtag. X-Wing at Aliciousness. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you think about that era when Sweet Tooth was coming out, though, Vertigo, that was like the last high point of Vertigo. It really was. When you think about what they were putting out at the time, I mean, uh, I believe Hellblazer was still going on. That must have been like the last the last run when Milligan was writing it. Mm. And then there was the unwritten had been going on at that point. Fables was, was still going on. Um, there was also, uh, you know, you mentioned American vampire, which was popular. It was, there was also scalped. Scalped yeah. was another big one that came out around that time. So it's like, there were some big, comics man like some really good ones that were coming out and we just don't have that anymore stuff like sweet tooth uh american vampire and scalped really boosted the profiles of those writers too i mean just look at where jason aaron is you know we've already talked about scott snyder a little bit but jason aaron's career really he basically became an architect over at marvel yeah exactly and there, there's a good chance that might not have happened if not for Scout. Yeah. But I will say that between Jason Aaron and Scott Snyder, Marvel got the better deal. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally, man. No doubt about that. <laughs> I was actually listening to an interview with Jason Aaron on another comic book podcast the other day. Uh-huh. It was the Comic Lounge podcast. And Jason Aaron talked about how when Scout was taking off and it was getting a good amount of buzz and critical acclaim, that was when Marvel gave him a call. And for some, for whatever reason, man, even though he was already working for DC, DC never actually ever offered him an exclusive exclusive. deal. Yeah. So Marvel came calling and they said he could still do a Scout, but you know, other than Scout, he would be doing stuff for them. So he, it was a really good, it was really good for his career, and he ended up doing that. And ever since then, he hasn't gone and done any work for DC. Yeah, it's like yeah. pretty uh, embarrassing, man. I think like if you're DC and you have this guy who ends up becoming one of the best writers of that era, and he's working for you in the beginning, and you just like let him walk out under you under your nose. Yeah, it's like what the heck, man. It's uh. You know, I'm not. I don't know if I'm usually a big fan of underhanded dealings or of uh, you know business practices or whatever, like that sort of corporate espionage, if you really want to call it that. But 
I gotta say, I, I got respect there for what they did. They made DC look foolish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think it was anything underhanded, you know, because at the time Aaron was still a freelancer, so he could have talked to anybody. That's true. That's true. It's yeah. I it I made it sound more sinister than it actually was, but it wasn't necessarily sinister on Marvel's part. It was incompetence on DC's part. Yeah, they did it to themselves. So yeah. there we go. Yeah, exactly. And Aaron did mention that after he had been working for Marvel, one of the editors at, at DC, I forget who it was, but he said that the dude saw him at a convention one day and told him that he, he was sorry and regretted not signing him to an exclusive before Marvel did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, Marvel knew what they were doing. They, they I think time and time again, the, it's been the case where Marvel, you know, sees talent and... They jump on it, man. They mm-hmm. jump on it. Mm-hmm. So, even Jeff Lemire's done work at Marvel. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he was ever exclusive at either company, but he's done work for both, both DC and Marvel, as well yeah. as other publishers. I mean, he's done stuff for Valiant Comics. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he he had his own book over at TKO. He's got his Image Comics. He just strikes me as a dude who just doesn't. You know, I mean, he obviously does it for money, but he also clearly just does it for the love of doing his stories, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it really comes out when you read his work. It's, you can just tell that dude has, whoever created this stuff has a lot of care and passion for it, you know? Like, it's not just scribbles on paper. This is, like, yeah. emotion put forth before everyone who reads it, who picks yeah. it up. It's super consistent because it's not, it's not just like one off where it's like one one comic or whatever. He's he's got several that are just home runs, you know. Yeah, totally, man. And I'd say for anyone who's interested in checking out Jeff Lemire, if you're only familiar with Jeff Lemire through his superhero work at DC and Marvel, you're missing out because his creator-owned stuff is where it's really at. And yeah. Sweet Tooth, even though it's a Vertigo book. I don't remember the the creator ownership part of Vertigo books is always kind of complicated because I think even though he does have some kind of ownership in it and he gets money when they make the show or whatever. Yeah. Like I, it's still, I think partially. I'm sure they set it up in some way to screw him over if they could (laughs) have. Yeah, exactly. But truth be told, I mean, he still does work with DC, so I'm sure he's on good terms with them realistically yeah. speaking yeah yeah and you know I'm, I'm pretty sure he still got a fair deal on the on the netflix show uh, yeah I, mean, I, I don't really know any of the specifics whatsoever but that's just really my impression based on what i've read and heard yeah. and interviews and things of that nature but I, I was gonna say about sweet tooth man his artwork in sweet tooth is amazing it's it's something where like you were mentioning earlier it's very he has a very distinctive drawing style yeah it's very sketchy looking there are a lot of lines a lot of yeah there's a lot of brush strokes in his ink work and it it just looks very lush and warm and inviting which is interesting because when you that when you look at his black and white art because a lot of his other comics that he's drawn are black and white uh, where Sweet Tooth is in color, his even his black and white art. 
I feel like because of the brushwork there, it's it's a he's always got a very inviting and warm style of art that kind of just yeah draws you in and um I don't know there's just something aesthetically appealing about his artwork to me but when I see it in color like in Sweet Tooth especially when it's colored by Jose Villarubia who's one of the best colorists in the business and he he uses this kind of a a drab almost watercolorish tone for all his colors it's like every page man there's there's just something you can just look at any given page in the entire 40 issues and just contemplate it man it's almost like looking at a at a painting yeah like i can i can look at any page and just yeah examine it you know so even though it doesn't have even though there are pages that don't have a lot of words i can still spend a lot of time in the comic you know i'm just losing myself yeah. in the artwork because the moody colors combined with the line work it's it's just a really good looking book man yeah i mean i was well two two thoughts one when you said that it's like a painting like one image that flashed in my mind is it does kind of remind me of like the comic book version of a of a van gogh or something like that you know mm-hmm. um it's it's i guess textured is the word lots of textures um and the second point i was going to make was i'll i'll even have to admit that at a glance i think it his art style was something that didn't necessarily like not impress me but it it wasn't something where I thought I would find it aesthetically pleasing, but it was something where I had to sit and read the comic and really like look at the nuances of what he was drawing, like really absorb yeah. it, you know, before yeah. I fully developed a, an appreciation from it. Because I could definitely see, especially if we're talking, you know, people who who prefer more uh traditional action if people just read superhero comics yeah say that again say that again yeah you're gonna say for people who read superhero comics exactly this is gonna be a shock to them exactly so if we're talking about people who who are accustomed to just superhero art style where you got like superman with a bunch of muscles and machine guns and stuff like wait superman has machine guns now no i'm just throwing things around but that would be um, funny if Superman started using <laughs> machine guns. Last son of Krypton, my butt. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, check this out. I'm faster than a speeding bullet. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, for people who are looking for those types of comics, I could see how they would look at that art and be like, this just looks like sketches or whatever. And they might be dismissive of it, but it's... It's beautiful. Like I, 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 I defend his artwork, and I, I'd say that it's, it's truly beautiful if you just allow yourself to, like, absorb it. I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Jose Villarubia's colors, man. I, I really love his his coloring. This is probably the one series where he's colored. It's probably like his his longest work i think because i feel like most of the time when i see his his work it i don't think he's ever worked on a series as long as this one 40 whole issues but everything that he does do is pretty awesome you know it 
and and this is done in a style that isn't again it's not the kind of color palette that you would find in a big two superhero comic yeah it's it's something that when you look at it you can just immediately tell oh this is different you know like this isn't this isn't uh something that looks like how a justice league comic or something would look you know yeah it's just something that's the world is very lived in like this is a world that like even even during the daytime scenes there's kind of this impending there's a gloominess gloominess to it yeah yeah exactly and i'd even add that the way we describe it we're it it almost sounds like we're describing like you know an indie film or something like that or an indie comic which which it is you know it might as well be yeah i mean he does come from an indie comic background but like there are scenes of action and things going on in this in this series too, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he doesn't know how to draw a, a fight or a battle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely different. I, like it's not, you know, a spaceship crashing into the ocean or or a city or something like that. But you know, for the sake of the story, he knows how to. He still knows definitely knows how to. Uh, build that kind of drama and 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 tell those kinds of stories yeah absolutely and the the drama in the series is just gripping excellent compelling stuff man yeah like once you start reading the tale of gus and jeopard and you see where where they go together and what ends up happening to them after the first arc there's a I mean, I'm not sure how how much we want to get into spoilers for the story, uh, so I'll try to keep it spoiler free, spoil free. <laughs> but after the first arc, something pretty big happens uh, between Gus and Jeopard, and then you have like a whole another story arc where there's a whole another group of characters that are introduced and um, you end up being able to care for them as well. But the, the story of Gus and Jeopard and their journey that it really uh, drives everything. It drives the plot and gives you a reason to want to keep on reading what's going to happen next to, to pick up the next issue or, get to the next chapter and just keep on going until you're done with everything. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, it's a, like you said, it's a whole 40, 40 issues and it's a pretty self-contained story. So it's, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty fulfilling experience. I'd say reading it all together like that. Yeah, man. When you told me last week that, you wanted to talk about Sweet Tooth for this week's episode. I was like, okay, I'll uh, try to. I don't know if I'll reread the entire series, but I'll at least, uh, you know, go through the first story arc. I've got all three of the deluxe hardcovers, so I have it. But um, so I picked up the first hardcover, and I basically ended up reading all 40 issues in like two or three days <laughs> just because once i started i couldn't stop <laughs> they're like pringles 
Exactly. Once you pop, you cannot stop. Is that their tagline? Their no. Well, their it's sort of, but I just I drew it out a little more. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to get into the show a little bit? Or uh, get sure. into the show? Or do you want to talk about the comic? Or is there any other thoughts you want to say about the comic? Well, I guess one more thing about the comic. I want to say that the ending is one of the best endings I've ever read in a comic. It's one of the best endings in probably any story I've ever consumed, honestly. And I'm not I'm not going to spoil the ending, but I'm just going to say that it's extremely satisfying on an emotional level and just from yeah. a, an appreciation of the craft of storytelling yeah. like yeah dude even though i already knew how the story ended because i'd, I'd read it a couple times in the past when i read it again uh, earlier this week dude it, it was still so moving man like those yeah. last few pages yeah. it's it's probably one of the few comics that that's ever made me want to tear up you know like there's it's it's an emotional journey that the characters go through over these 40 issues and by the time you get to the end you're just going to be super satisfied man i can i can guarantee it to any of you guys who haven't read it yet but this is this is something that you're going to want to see all the way to the end yeah no i uh so unlike you i i didn't I chose not to go back and read it for for the show. Um, not, you already have it memorized in your heart. I, I don't have it memorized in my heart, but um, you know, I just I think I, it, well, though. I you didn't have it, the man. confidence. <laughs> it's 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 scarred you, man. It uh, tattooed itself on your heart. It, it's in my veins. It's in my blood. Yeah. <laughs> You got baby FDR in your veins. Exactly, exactly. I got that sweet, sweet baby FDR juice in my veins. <laughs> I got that sweet, sweet baby juice all up in my veiny veins. Well, good thing we didn't talk about American vampires this week. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, uh, so, so, I, 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 basically didn't have the confidence that I would be able to commit to finishing it. So I didn't want to even try, but I was just like, well, I'll just watch one episode of the show and, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll skim through the book just to see what I can remember. And, you know, although it's been a couple of years since I read the series, that ending is still pretty vivid to me. I still remember, Maybe not exactly how it plays out, but I think I remember like what the very last page is, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the very last page is super memorable last page. Yeah. I think the last the last two pages definitely are memorable. It, it's one of those things where if I just sit and think about the ending, that alone is almost enough to make me want to tear up. It's. I- it's I just emotional stuff, man. It's it's a powerful ending. It's great. Yeah, I'd say so too. It's uh There's poetry to it, man. Yeah. The way that Lemire writes 
that last issue, if you read it all at once, like if you read the series uh, entirely in within a short time frame, like compare the writing in the last issue with how he begins the series, and there's a a symmetry to it that I think is very very effective. Actually, I think DC just released a compendium for Sweet Tooth. Yeah. So it's a one volume, super thick paperback edition. It's basically a phone book. Yeah, basically oh, well, a phone book. For those of you who's, who who know what phone books are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are these, before uh, the internet. Yeah, before, before the internet, people <laughs> needed these big books that had the phone numbers of everybody in your city. But most of the time, you never were going to call anybody anyway. So yeah. you kind of just use those phone books as heavy doorstops or maybe use them to club baby seals or something. You know what's funny about the idea of a phone book not not to go on too far of a tangent but when you describe it as like that's as um as as the means by which we used to have to find other people's phone numbers they you know the idea being that we're just going to give everyone this thick book and whenever you want to call someone if you don't know their phone number you just look in this book for everyone's (laughs) phone number like there's it's absurd man (laughs) yeah i wonder why that was a thing right well i mean i'm sure they didn't have any other means of like getting other people's phone numbers except for directly asking for it but still it's uh i mean it, it makes sense when you need to look for the for a phone number for a business or something right yeah yeah like a phone book for for businesses makes a lot of sense because then people can, you know, find what they're looking for that they need yeah. to buy or whatever. But all of the just normal personal numbers, that's it's strange, right? Like yeah, and we used they to just go through the phone out. book and prank call people. You did? What you never did? I didn't. <laughs> wow, I've uh, I've learned something about you today. You are Dude, a menace a kid, to society. <laughs> when you're a kid and you're hanging out with other kids and you have a phone book and you have access to a phone, at some point, you're just going to be like, hey, we should call some of these numbers. Let's see if there's a see more butts there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Is there a, a Mr. Butts? Is there a C-more? Freely here? IP? Is there an IP freely? Uh, yeah, and again, not to belabor the point, but just this idea that in a city with thousands of people, their solution was, we're just going to give everyone one of these books. So they were just printing out these books en masse. Yeah. So they're like, constantly updating them. <laughs> Society is mad. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the compendium is just this super thick one uh, one volume collection that has the entire story that just came out. Um, yeah, so I guess DC really made a push to promote it for this Netflix show. Yeah, because you know they gave him that six six issue miniseries to revisit the world, and they put out this compendium, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I forget. Did they? Did they ever do an omnibus? No, 
No, this compendium is the closest thing to an omnibus. Oh. So with Sweet Tooth, you can either get it. There, there's the individual paperbacks. I think there are six of them if you just want the ones that collect the individual story arcs. There are the deluxe the hardcover editions that you and I have. But I think they're, they're out of print. They're probably out of print. Yeah. But you might, if you're lucky, you might be able to find them at a store. Yeah. Which I want to tell a story real quick, but I did end up finding one volume for uh, volume two at uh, Elusive Comics for basically like 75% off. Mm -hmm. And as a result of me buying that one volume, I was like, it was too good of a deal to pass up. And as a result, I was like, now I got to get the rest of it. I mean, I was wanting to get this the the whole of the series anyways, but uh, tracking down that volume one, that was a hard volume to track down, man. Like I could, uh, in stock didn't have it, and uh, Amazon didn't have it, so I ended up finding it at uh, Doctor Comics and Mister Games for full price. Okay. Just this yeah. past year. Just nice, this past man. year, yeah. actually, and. It was during pandemic, so I remember when they opened up and they started doing curbside. I I just ordered it and I picked it up. So yeah, that's great. Worth it. Worth it. But yeah, it might be hard for any of those of you out there who might want to get it. So I wonder if they did paperback editions of these deluxe editions. I'd have I'm, to check. I yeah, don't I'm not know. actually sure. Yeah, but, but you can have the people can also though. get it. Yeah, there's a compendium. People can also get it digitally. Exactly. So it's it's readily available. It's not yeah. It's not going to be hard to find. Yeah, for sure. Definitely for sure. recommend reading it. If yeah. you're if, for anyone who's at all interested in the TV series, I would probably recommend reading the comic first. But that's just because I'm a comic book elitist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I, I I would not dissuade anyone from reading the comic. I encourage that people read the comic. I personally don't think... I, I personally have no preference whether someone reads the comic first or watches the show first, as long as they read it, but that's me. What if they watch the show and they think that the comic could never match the show, so they dismiss the comic? Then they were not my people to begin with, and I care not for them. Fie on them. Fie on their bloodline. <laughs> Fie on their ancestors. Fie on their descendants. A curse upon their houses, Drew. Well said, man. Well said. A pox on their families. <laughs> may may all their children be born with the mark of the beast. <laughs> like that? Great answer. Great answer. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to see if I could set you up for something, and you did not disappoint me. The only thing I've disappointed in my life are my parents. So how about that Miami <laughs> Dallas game? <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. What did you think of Sweet Tooth episode one from Netflix? So. Yeah, so I wait. Hang on. Are we gonna be talking? Uh, are we gonna be giving away spoilers for the first episode? That's okay, right? It's just the first episode. Yeah, I think it's okay. I like they. 
it's it's basically just the setup for whatever the the rest of the series is going to be so it doesn't really give away too much yeah yeah um i will say that my first impression of it right from the get-go right from the opening scene is that they give a lot more information up front than they do in the comic uh because they go there's an entire like couple of minutes where they go into what the world was like before and when i turned to the comic and looked through it i noticed that uh well the comic's a lot more subtle about it because you with the comic you you enter their world in medias res you know Mm -hmm. so um like yeah you enter the world from their point of view and they as far as they're concerned uh or as far as you're concerned as a reader they've already existed in this world for some time whereas with the series they give you that information about what life was like before and even spoon feed you to some degree about gus and the relationship with his father uh you know you you see them go off into the woods you see him start this new life as society falls around them mm-hmm. and um other than that uh one of the other things that really jumps out at me is the way that you described the book earlier was that there's a murkiness and gloominess to it right mm-hmm but I did notice that the show the show is pretty uplifting by comparison. It's the way it's that it's very it uplifting. Out, yeah, the way that it's especially out, if we're just speaking about the color palette. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like a so lot of bright. brightly lit scenes. Yeah. The nature that is depicted in the show is just gorgeous. I don't yeah. I don't know if they actually I don't know where they filmed it, but it it's it's just really beautiful looking landscapes, man. It's the kind of thing that that makes me want to go on a hike, except yeah. I know that if I went on a hike, I'd probably not like hiking <laughs> after, you know, because I'm lazy. And I don't really like strenuous things like that. <laughs> uh, but I, I would love to take a drone out there and control a camera. <laughs> You would love to play Skyrim and explore the area yeah, with your yeah. avatar. Skyrim. Uh, if somebody made a Skyrim mod that took place in the world of Sweet Tooth, <laughs> I would play the crap out of that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, for sure. Like it's it's a well lit world that they live in, and on top of that, when they introduce the show, they introduce it almost as a fairy tale. You know, you have a narrator, and it's almost whimsical the way that they talk about everything that happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. think that's one of the unexpected elements of the show, but I I think it's better for it, because that, one of the things about the comic is the narration, and the whole, this is the story. You know, like that whole the repetition of that, that's, that's actually... A pretty big part of the comic and i'm glad that they're keeping a version of that for the tv series yeah 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 no i i agree with that and you know and the one thing that i wanted to mention about this was even though what we're describing on the screen is different than what we saw in the comics uh in terms of their presentation 
I think this is an example of how even though they're both the same story and the, the presentations are different, I I appreciate both of their uh both of their contributions, you know? Like mm-hmm. I I found myself enjoying what I was looking at, you know? The the show yeah. is like fun to watch. Like right after that first episode, I was in, man. Mm-hmm. I was in. And yeah. it's it's not a situation where I was like, that wasn't like the book and you know, and I you know, and I ended up being like upset at them for not being like the book because if anything I I, I feel like they complement each other on some level, you know? Yeah, they're different things for sure because anytime you adapt something from one medium to a different medium, there's usually gonna be uh some kind of some kind of, some kind of variation. Yeah. Uh, but as I think as long as the story is true to the original heart and and soul of the of the comic then it'll it should all yeah. work out you know even yeah. if the approach is a little different or or if they expand on things which is probably to be expected i i don't actually know that much about the rest of the series i watched the first episode like we had planned to but i don't even i'm not even sure exactly how many episodes are in the first season is it eight or is it ten it's eight, eight so episodes. it's eight eight episodes yeah. and I, I don't know anything about future seasons um like i don't know if they've already said oh this is just going to be season one of sweet tooth and we're gonna continue uh assuming it's successful but yeah based on the first episode i would imagine at the pace that they're going that they would need multiple seasons to complete the story that they want to tell yeah yeah because basically that first that whole first episode it ends kind of where the first issue of the comic ends i could see that i could see that it's yeah yeah, like there's a whole lot of material in the first episode that is not in the comics at all like you said they embellished or yeah is that the word embellish yeah yeah they've embellished a lot of the stuff about like you said earlier the, the world uh before the plague or i guess technically right when the plague was beginning yeah and the onset of the hybrids so you you actually see within those first couple minutes of the tv series you see dr singh who is also a major character in the comic you see him in his original life or you know his normal life as a doctor at some hospital dealing with this outbreak of i don't know i guess it's just a, a pandemic where they don't really know much about the virus and they they don't have an answer or a cure for it so people are just you know fallen ill and fallen sick by the wayside in the hospital on the streets and stuff and chaos is breaking out everywhere yeah and then in the in the children's ward or the the baby ward in the hospital you see a bunch of little babies that have animal characteristics on them yeah you see a little baby with porcupines uh spikes and i think one of them was a bird mm-hmm. uh, uh there were like a, quite a few other ones but i don't really remember all of them but yeah you know, yeah yeah you just see a, a whole lot of that kind of stuff which is the kind of thing that's only really hinted at in the comic yeah and then like you were saying earlier the whole thing uh with gus's father uh raising gus 
Like yeah. that's that's a lot of stuff that's relegated to to flashbacks and dialogue in the yeah. comics. Yeah. Whereas in in the in the TV series, I felt like there was a good amount of time devoted to Gus and his father. And Living one together. thing, yeah, yeah, one thing about me, dude, is is that I'm pretty much a sucker for stories about single parents. Yeah. <laughs> like whether it's a single father or a single mother, uh, but definitely when uh, single fathers. Like I'm like you you tell me the story has that I'm probably going to at least give it a shot just because yeah. I don't know why man that that's just something that always uh draws me in the single parent element. So well, you actually get a real chance to see Gus and his father uh as a family, you know? Like they're yeah. he's he's growing up uh under his dad's watchful care and uh, his dad is more than just his his dad is really fleshed out a lot more in the tv series yeah like i was looking at the comic and in the first page i'm pretty sure he's already dying (laughs) yeah of the comic like you see that he's ill he's uh, i mean i guess if i had to take guess from context he's dying of a disease that's yeah he he got the the plague man he got the affliction yeah yeah but i was gonna say uh so one of the things that I noticed about the show was that Gus in the show is like this really young kid, right? Mm-hmm. And I was telling Drew about it when, and for whatever reason, well, the way that Jeff Lemire draws uh, Gus and uh, the way that he draws Gus in the comic, I always presumed that he was a little older, maybe like a preteen to an early teen. Yeah, like 12 or 14 or something. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere around there. But seeing the show with this little kid who's around 10 years old or something, maybe maybe even a little younger. Um, You know, speaking of... I think they said he was nine. Okay. Yeah, so he's uh, seeing this nine-year-old kid surviving out on his own. Uh, You know, speaking of, like, uh, uh, narrative sweet spots for yourself, Drew, like... I do feel like this is the cross section on the Venn diagram where both of our uh, narrative sweet spots align. Because mm-hmm. you uh, love kids, man. You love young boys. I I no not 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 like that. But <laughs> no, in, in your narrative, in your in your uh, narratives that you consume, man, in your stories, you love stories about young boys and kids. Yeah, I love stories about hot young boys. You know, because they're in a world of climate temperatures. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot in their world. No? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I enjoy stories about, um, you know, children having to be resilient. You know, stories where children have to, like, grow up a lot sooner just due to circumstance and them finding the you know the the fortitude in themselves to to meet these challenges and that's mm-hmm. exactly you know so you for for you drew you get the story of gus growing up with his dad and not to okay i'm gonna spoil it right now but well i guess we've already spoiled it yeah from earlier discussions but um you know gus's dad does die and we see this entire chunk of time where 
Gus is just living by himself out in the woods. And even the, the narrator says like he went from being the boy to being the man of the house. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's I'm pretty sure that line is in the comic kid. too. It's a good line, man. I mean, yeah. it says everything that, you know, you need to know about this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the world fell apart, he, like so many people, I imagine like, you know, you just have to find that strength in you to to meet whatever challenges come to you and there's yeah there's something about seeing a kid who who has even less uh resources and knowledge and protection just find that that in inner fortitude you know like yeah it it moves me yeah it's hard to imagine what it would be like to have to go through that it's like if you actually met some kid who had to endure a life like that your heart would just break yeah 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 it uh it reminds me of this well you know not again not to uh stray too far from the main conversation but it reminds me of this uh spielberg movie called uh what was it it had a really young christian bale it was about christian bale during world war ii um empire of the sun and it was about how like the japanese took over this area where there were a bunch of british expatriates and he as this kid who's in who's in this territory taken over by the japanese um he he goes from being this kid to pampered uh this pampered kid to diplomats to being a kid who has to fend for himself and survive in this prison camp mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty fascinating story but yeah it sounds pretty harrowing i might have to check that yeah. out yeah it it was a box office bomb but it's like one of those things where i don't necessarily know why it didn't connect with people at the time like it, it felt like it was a pretty solid movie but uh, maybe I, maybe people of that time just didn't have the stomach to see a story like that. Maybe the, the idea of a kid having to struggle. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that maybe that's not their thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's very likely. Did you notice were were there any other uh changes that you noticed, Drew? Uh anything that jumped out at you or anything that you appreciated? One of the big differences is Jeopard. Jeopard in the in the TV series, man. He's not a hockey player. He was a former football player. Yeah. That's He's pretty a different. Big dude. Yeah. Yeah, because like in that opening scene, uh, when when we were following around Doctor Singh, Doctor Singh in his uh in his home, there was a TV that was on, and then. He, there was a football game playing on the TV, and it did one of those things where the players, uh, you know, introduced themselves yeah. and dun, had, dun, dun, dun. yeah. <laughs> and Tommy Jeopard, man, he was uh he was a lineman. Yeah. I don't remember if he was a defensive or an offensive lineman, but it makes sense because the actor that plays him, he just has that uh kind of body type, man. I don't know, I don't remember what his name is, the actor, but He's he, he looks like I've a big dude. In a lot of stuff. Actually. I remember seeing him on Game of Thrones. He was in Game of Thrones. He was also in Ender's Game. He was, yeah, that's right, Ender's Game. I can't remember his name though. Yeah, he's 
I feel like I've seen him in a couple of... Oh, I I remember watching the Artemis Fowl movie. He was in that. So oh, he's, I know you're into Artemis Fowl. I'm not, but it was just something that was on and, you know... Uh, you watched it with a girl? I didn't watch it with a girl, but no. I just... It was just on, so I just happened to watch it. Uh, but he's... Yeah, he's just one of those actors that you see who's... He has a super recognizable face, and you see it a lot, but you don't necessarily always remember his name. Um, you know, like, uh, what are those called? Uh, character actors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's cool that he got a lead role in a series now. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, here, his name is Nonso Anozi. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he's... Uh, I like him, you know? I, yeah. I've liked him in almost everything i've seen him in he's 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 cool man yeah definitely f- from what i've seen in the first episode i like what he brings to to jeopard like he definitely had that presence you know like this is a a tough hardened dude but yeah he's not he's not just he's not just a, a stone cold killer you know like he's not gonna he's not gonna hurt a kid just because he can <laughs> like yeah. those other guys you know yeah. Well, speaking of like the differences in Jeopard, did you think that the Jeopard in the comic was a lot harder and a lot colder than the Jeopard that was in the show? Uh I'd probably say yes just based on the first episode. I mean, maybe if I watch more episodes and we see a little bit more of how the show Jeopard is portrayed, yeah. I'll have a more accurate answer. Yeah. But I I do think that the Jeopard in the comics is he's not He's rough, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's not he's not like a savage or anything, but Yeah. Uh, but he's not warm and fluffy and friendly or he's anything not, either. He's he's definitely not that. I mean, just based on uh what Jeopard does at the end of the first story arc in the comics. Yeah. Which I am assume will probably happen in the tv show also but but uh what jeopard does in the comics man that that's pretty harsh and it kind of forms it kind of affects his conscience the rest of the way through you know like that's something that ends up changing him i mean i guess at this point if we're already talking about mild spoilers for the tv series i'm just gonna spoil that part of the comic but that at the end of the first story arc I think issue five, uh, Jeopard ends up betraying Gus. Like he ends up turning Gus in to the people that do experiments on hybrid kids because these people think that the hybrids are the cause of the plague. And they think that if they unlock the genetic secrets of these hybrids, they'll be able to find a cure and, and save humanity. Mm. So they, they, they find all these stray hybrid kids and and do experiments on them. And Jeopard takes Gus and turns him into to those people after they've spent all this time on the road with Gus thinking that Jeopard is taking him to some place called the Preserve, which is this so-called place where hybrids can live in peace and be safe. But yeah. apparently it, it's really just, uh, you know, probably just some kind of propaganda or a myth to to, to lure 
unsuspecting hybrids in where they can get captured and uh, experimented upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, like I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I was, when I first came up, uh, across the book, I was, I was skeptical because I was thinking it was just going to be another one of these like post-apocalyptic stories kind of run of the mill. But I will admit, uh, you know, Jeff Lemire's portrayal of these characters is not a hundred percent perfect or heroic. Yeah, that was you know a good angle to take. You know, so mm-hmm. it it was definitely having Jeopard this this uh, one of the the heroes of the story be he did be something a traitor. foul. Yeah, be a traitor who did something foul, like. It, it it makes it feel more real, I guess, because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this might say be telling of how I view people, but, uh, you know, real people, real people aren't always quite as noble as you'd like them to be, realistically. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's yeah. true, man. Yeah. And yeah. I, I also think that the Jeopard in the comics, he's... After he does that, he it's a big reason for what he ends up, the character arc that he undergoes the rest of the way. Because, like, after he he betrays Gus, like, for some reason, man, he, he can't stop thinking about it. And he ends up trying to rectify what he did. Mm-hmm. And I think with the... TV series, even though I haven't watched it far enough yet, it kind of feels like if they go at this kind of pace, it feels like there'll be a good amount of time for for the show to develop Jeopard as a more sympathetic character. Yeah. Like, I'm, I still get the sense that they're going to show that he's, you know, a hardened dude and, mm. a you know, a tough guy that nobody can mess with, nobody yeah. can, can kill because he'll kill you first yeah but at the same time if if i mean if that one episode we saw like that one episode was just like the first issue of the series i imagine like the next couple episodes aren't gonna carry us all the way much farther through Mm. the story arc Mm. like there's a good chance that if the show expounds on jeopard's character we'll get to see um Maybe a more sympathetic side to him. Yeah. I feel like that's possible. But again, like, I haven't seen it all, so I could be totally off. Yeah. In the comic, I felt like the way they portrayed Jeopard was, especially in the beginning, he wasn't really too sympathetic of a character. Like, he yeah. was definitely uh, a big man, you know? Like, that's what Gus called him, the big man. Um, yeah. And he also thinks that, well... I think as the reader, when you're reading it for the first time, uh, that first story arc, Jeopard is portrayed as someone kind of mysterious. Like, you don't really know exactly where he stands. Like, from Gus's point of view, he he doesn't really have much of a choice but to trust Jeopard. And after their like their initial meeting, like he's, he slowly warms up to him and 
he he basically begins to to trust Jeopard, but you still get the sense that Jeopard keeps Gus at an arm's length. Like he's like he's gonna take care of this kid. He's not gonna let anything really bad happen to him. Like he's not gonna let those those other tribal people, cult people or crazy people, yeah. you know, ambush them and kill Gus or take him or anything. Mm-hmm. So he'll he'll defend Gus with his life from that perspective. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, there's still kind of this unknowable aspect to to Jeopard, like a, a mystery to him. And I think that's what yeah. makes him a really interesting character, especially to begin with, because you you don't really know of what his agenda is. Like, does he really believe that he's going to escort Gus all the way to this magical land where he can be safe forever? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I'm pretty interested in how the show is going to depict uh, that character arc, because once, once Jeopard betrays Gus... Dude, that that was probably the moment for me that that was like, I definitely got to find out where this story is going now. <laughs> you know, this isn't this isn't just Lone Wolf and Cub. You know, like right. It's 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 not uh, Road to Perdition or something. You know, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The 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 father figure here has betrayed his son. Basically, yeah. is what what happened. Yeah. And that's not really something you uh typically expect in a story like this exactly exactly yeah like i remember um just from those first couple of early pages in the comic again he he's not played off as this character who's endearing or even friendly with gus if anything he's gruff yeah the the if anything the one redeeming quality about him was that he killed the guys that were trying to hurt Gus, and that was about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. And the way that they portrayed that scene in the show was initially he was gonna um, he was on the same side as the these poachers because, well, I'm not exactly sure what the poachers were gonna do to Gus. They they make it sound like they were gonna turn him in for money, but. Uh, Jeopard comes in, kills these guys, and he, Actually, he, yeah, I, the the violence in the show isn't as as high as the violence in the comic. I think. What do you mean by high? Uh, or it's not as it's not as uh visually violent. Like in in the comic, you you see these you see people's you know head faces get oh, chopped right, and right, right. things like that. Whereas. Yeah. Whereas in the show, like when he killed the, the guy who was running, you kind of just heard a gunshot, and you know you use your imagination to put yeah. two and two together. I don't have a, I don't really take too much issue with that. I was pretty fine with it, but I think it does uh, add to the. I think the 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 violence in the comic does make Jeopard come off as even more savage than that's true. That's he true. actually might be you know like yeah. or at least compared to the show like yeah in in the comic he, he kind of brutalizes people that are out to hurt him or hurt gus yeah and it, it's it's pretty not uh, a dude who shows too much restraint <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly it's like if you bring out a knife he's just gonna bring out a gun and he's gonna crush your skull <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah but the thing is when he kills those two dudes in the show and he takes Gus, there's a moment where Gus speaks and Jeopard basically goes, 
he he's surprised by the fact that he speaks and yeah. because uh because Gus speaks and is no longer just this creature to him there's a scene in the show where he goes I forget exactly what he says but it's, it's something to the effect of like I might be a killer but I don't kill kids or something like that you know which I don't think Gus in the or Jeopard in the comic would do that you know I, I think it paints the TV show Jeopard in a pretty different light at least yeah. to me it does yeah you know yeah that's a good point But the other thing about the show that I think changes kind of the flavor of it is the soundtrack too. Yeah. Like the, I thought yeah. the background music was the, the instrumental score was pretty beautifully done. Yeah. It really gave a sense of serenity to a lot of the different scenes when Gus was living with his father. Yeah. But also the <laughs> it's weird the the injection of of pop music into the series. Kind of... I was going to talk about that. <laughs> what was <laughs> yeah. that song? Is that of Monsters and Men? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, so the final scene of the episode, basically the, uh, the, the moment where Gus decides to, the way they phrase it in the show is, he went from following all the rules to breaking all the rules in a single moment. Mm-hmm. And so it's the moment where he decides to take it upon himself to go out into this new world that he's been sheltered from and to, you know, go on his hero's journey, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they use that song by Of Monsters and Men. I, I what's do you, you wouldn't happen to know the name of the song, would you? I don't even recognize the song, but I, I just recognize their sound. Right. Right. Well, the thing is, I'm not, I don't think I'm a huge, I, I definitely wouldn't consider myself a fan of theirs, but I didn't think the use of that song was... It was good for that moment, you know. Mm-hmm. It it was. I don't know if I preferred the use of a song like that in in this show, but I mean, obviously they decided to to go with it, and it yeah. it does give the series a. I don't know. For me, it, the music does affect the flavor of oh, it definitely the TV does. show. Yeah. Definitely does. Yeah. Like I probably would have personally preferred just to keep it all uh, with an int- instrumental score, mm-hmm. but I think I can understand why they went with Iceland's, you know, indie folk stars or whatever. <laughs> They're from Iceland, <laughs> right? I think they are. I can't remember. I have no idea. <laughs> They're like the second most famous Icelandic musical artist I know of after Björk. I'm pretty sure Bjork is kind of just the 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 zenith of of Icelandic pop. Well, actually, there's also Sigur Rós. They're from Iceland, aren't they? Oh, okay. But I don't. I think guess of monsters and men are maybe my third favorite. Yeah. <laughs> By default, because <laughs> I think I only know three. <laughs> yeah, I just looked it up. The song was "Dirty Paws." Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the song is fine. It's just, I guess I just thought it was st- strange to hear it in a scene like that because so much of the the story up to that point, or at least Gus's portion of the story, was pretty much all spent in nature. Like there wasn't anything. Uh, like does he even know what a what a a CD or an MP3 is or music or anything like that? Right? Like it's 
it's kind of a, an interesting choice to use popular music uh, for a scene like that when you when they've already established that he grew up in isolation and lived in the woods in a, a cabin. Huh. Really didn't have access to a whole bunch of different technology and stuff. And then all of a sudden you bring in an indie rock band or an indie folk rock band. That's an interesting way to look at it. I, uh, I mean, I didn't, I don't think I, uh, I would have thought that whatever music they played had any bearing on like his personal circumstances, but it's not that it's not that I think it has bearing on his personal circumstances. I think it's just kind of the, the tone of it all. Like, right. Like if you imagined that scene with like techno music, wouldn't that be weird too? Yeah, like it, it would definitely yeah. like it, it wouldn't necessarily break the show or anything. But if they scored all of the scenes where they were in nature with his when it was Gus and his dad in nature and they were playing like instrumental daft punk or something like that would give a different tone to the to the whole episode, wouldn't it? It would. But I guess what I was going to say was that I didn't feel like the use of the song was so far removed from the the background instrumentals that they were using mm-hmm. like it, it's like you said they're like a folk band right mm-hmm. so i guess in my mind i was just i i still felt like it was uh in in tune with the rest of the soundtrack or the score but yeah i i, I get what you're saying um just all of a sudden having, you know, a random pop song is, it, it does jump out at you. What if they used It Was a Good Day by Ice Cube for that scene? I mean, that definitely would not have fit any tone that they were trying to establish. But, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it would have been a choice. If they could have made that choice work, I, I would commend them. Now I want to see someone go on YouTube and and use that song over that scene. <laughs> what if at the end when he decides to when he's like jumping through the forest and he decides to you know catch up with Jeopard to go on his hero's journey, they suddenly play. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. <laughs> I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> I said, yup, what a concept. <laughs> we got to take you to karaoke or something. Hey, now, you're an all-star. <laughs> oh, boy. Did you have any other thoughts on the episode, Albert? Um, No, like, I... Yeah, I, I generally feel like it was different from the comic, but I didn't feel like it was so different that it was a disrespect to the comic. If anything, yeah. I, I enjoy both of them. Uh, maybe not equally, but I enjoy both of them, you know? I so, definitely want to watch the rest of the season exactly. so I can have a, exactly. a better, uh, make a more informed uh critique or um you know just being able to see it all at once or see 
all of the, all of what they've done would be how I'd want to judge it or appreciate yeah. it. And but, I will say that yeah, the first episode was fun. Yeah. And I will say that you know, in a world where we're basically seeing everything get turned into every comic get turned into some some form of televised media at some point like i you know something like sweet tooth is something that i'm more than happy to bring attention to you know because source material is great and uh you know this this ain't this ain't Zack Snyder's Justice League, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd much rather uh, all the people that were uh, clamoring for the Snyder Cut, I'd much rather they that they watch this series and read oh, this Oh, yeah, comic, absolutely. You know? Totally, totally. So, so like, this, yeah, this is uh, an episode I'm more than happy to do. Yeah. Yeah, and like you were saying, the source material is so, so good, man. So worth elevating and bringing attention to it kind of feels like there's a a decent chance that this will end up talking about sweet tooth again in the future at some point right i mean we haven't finalized our dc top 25 list but it'd be pretty easy to imagine this making that list right yeah it's i can't say where on that list uh and i'll I'll even be a little more skeptical just 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 to hedge my bets because you never know, but I I have more faith that it's going to make it onto that top 25 list of best DC comics of all time than not, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. Yeah. What if they made a Netflix TV series based on American Vampire? Would you watch that? Man. You read the comics, didn't you? I didn't read all of them is the thing. I think, so, I think I read a couple, but I never finished the entire series. And, oh, okay. but I will say this, I will say this. For a Zack Snyder, or not Zack Snyder, Scott Snyder comic, it's probably less frustrating than his Batman Yeah. Uh you know all those ticks that we we like discuss when we're talking and about mock. like Batman comics. Yeah, all all of his uh signature ticks and whatever. Mm-hmm. They're far less egregious in American Vampire than they are in uh his Batman. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. 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 I can see that. I've never actually read American Vampire, but, well, I've read a couple issues here and there, like the issues that you pointed out to me, and although I don't... good art. Yeah, Raphael Albuquerque, right? Yeah. He's pretty great. And I think he did a lot of it. Like, I don't know if he did the whole series, but I feel like he was with that book for, like, a good long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever read the book that Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire did together? I did. Uh, it was like Life AD or something like that, right? Yeah, AD, After Death. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Um, I think at the time, I, I had good, I had a good impression of it in spite of Scott Snyder. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, 
now after all this time has passed i don't remember it like it's certainly not as vivid as any of jeff lemire's other works Mm -hmm. um i think yeah the only thing that i can remember about it and i might not even be remembering this correctly is I believe that the the premise of the story is they live in a world where people can't die or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what the premise is. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I yeah, like what actually happens in the story kind of escapes me at the moment. Mm-hmm. Scott Snyder, man, that guy tarnishes everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was actually gonna say I, I thought that was one of his best works. <laughs> uh, well, okay, I don't want this to turn into a Scott Snyder episode, but yeah, I I still think it's probably one of his best works, top two. I think his Witches with Jock is probably my favorite thing from him. That, yeah, that's definitely my favorite Scott Snyder comic as well, Witches. Yeah, he, yeah. He, it's, that's, that is something, um, that where I can semi-confidently remember all the various beats of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Drew, do you yes. have anything that you would recommend for someone who wants to read more about a more sweet tooth uh sweet tooth like comics or it doesn't even have to be a comic is there anything that you would recommend that would be in the same spirit or vein as sweet tooth um the first couple things that come to mind uh if you're interested in the post-apocalyptic aspect of the story i'd probably recommend why the last man yeah, that was on my list too. <laughs> yeah, that's another Vertigo book where it's about a post-apocalyptic situation. In this case, a mysterious plague wipes out all of the men in the world, or every yeah. really every male with a with a Y chromosome, uh, and except for Yorick Brown, who is the main character of the of the series, and it's about basically the last boy on earth becoming the last man on earth. Yeah. That's essentially what it is. It's, it's a, a journey of, uh, of growth with, you know, a lot of misadventures in between, but that's something that I think is a little bit, it's got some similar concepts with sweet tooth, especially because of that central conceit of the, of a plague a post-apocalyptic world and a boy becoming a man. Although York Brown is not literally a boy when the story begins. He's, he's kind more of a man just, child. <laughs> yeah, he's more of a man child. <laughs> but, yeah. but it gives us hope because that tells us that you and I can still grow in emotional maturity, right, Albert? Well, we're certainly growing physically. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> we got that part down. <laughs> I don't know if we're growing, but we are aging. We're aging. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, Another thing that I would recommend 
And this is something that we've discussed in an older episode with uh, Shanus and Zach when when uh, we were doing our crime recommendations. And I think this was Shanus's choice, but he, he talked about Road to Perdition. And I think Road to Perdition is interesting in comparison with Sweet Tooth because Road to Perdition is also about a father and a son. Although Jeopard is not Gus's biological father, basically the way that the book progresses is it portrays them as kind of this father-son duo in a way. Like he's, They're kind of like a surrogate family, whereas in, in Road to Perdition, it's a literal father and a son who are going through America during, uh, I guess it's the Depression era, and committing a string of heists and robberies to get back at some gangsters. But it, it's a totally different type of story because it's more of a, a crime thriller. Yeah. But the, the aspect of uh, the aspect of fatherhood and the fathers and sons is a pretty interesting one. And again, like I said, I, I was, I'm always a sucker for single father and single parent kind of stories. Hey, Drew. Yeah. Were they 1920s gangsters? They weren't just 1920s gangsters. <laughs> they were 1920s Chicago gangsters. Yeah, she. We're going to go on this road, she. To perdition, she. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real reason why I wanted to recommend Road to Perdition. <laughs> Pepper loves it. <laughs> she loves it when you do that voice, too. <laughs> That's great. What about you, Albert? Do you have anything that you would want to recommend to people who enjoyed Sweet Tooth? Yeah. Um, wait, first of all, I get asked, did you really plan it that way <laughs> just for that? <laughs> if you did, you... That's like uh, some three-dimensional chess. <laughs> I'm impressed. Dude, you know how many episodes it's been since we've heard you do your 1920s Chicago gangster voice? <laughs> well done, Drew. You got me. You What's got a better me. way to, to lure you into doing the voice than by mentioning a comic that actually takes place in 1920s <laughs> Chicago? No, I was, uh, yeah, so... I, I guess, okay, so I mentioned Essex County earlier, which is another Jeff Lemire comic. I would I would recommend that if you want to read more Jeff Lemire comics. Um, he's got a whole slew of comics that he did, and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd recommend any of them. Underwater Welder is another one, which is about uh, father and son dynamics. Jeff, Jeff Lemire writes a lot about that. That sort of situation. So he does a lot of stuff about families, and he does yeah. a lot of stuff about uh, nature and just yeah. being apart from the hustle and bustle of cities. Yeah, totally. Um, there's also Royal City, which is a another comic that he wrote, Andrew, which was about yeah, just uh, family dynamics. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, uh, one thing that I would recommend. And oddly enough, they have a comic of this, but I'm not too big of a fan of the comic. Uh, but I would recommend Adventure Time, the show. Uh, it's been on Cartoon Network um, for a while now. It's already it's already been canceled, so it, it's it was long running. It's was was it canceled or did it just reach its natural conclusion? Well, yeah, it reached its natural conclusion. It came to an end. Okay, um, but. 
they did make a couple of specials on HBO to continue. Well, not necessarily continue, but to revisit that world. And the thing about it that really jumps out at me uh, in that, that makes me think of Sweet Tooth is it's a show that takes place, although they don't uh, explicitly say at the beginning of the series, uh, as time goes on, you discover it's a sh- that it's a show that t- takes place in the post-apocalypse as well. And it's really just about a young kid who matures into a young man over the course of the series, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because when I, I remember when I was watching the show, I, I had to try to watch the show on three separate occasions before I finally watched it all the way through. And in those first early seasons, um, I could never get past the, to the third season because... It just felt like it was just this really silly show that was um, not really going anywhere. But once you get past uh, all the jokes and once you get into like the fourth season, like it's it's really impressive, like what the show evolves into. So, um, yeah, so I do think that that's what it has in common with Sweet Tooth is, uh, you know, just this young character who's developing as a person even though he's got um even though he's got all these challenges uh that he faces these external heroic challenges but he's also maturing as a human being and the other thing about uh Finn the main character of the show that's similar to Gus in in Sweet Tooth is they're just both really pure good-hearted characters you know mm-hmm. so i i do think uh there's that i will say this about the comic even though i don't necessarily re- recommend it jim rugg did a few issues of it so oh okay you know, did shout he out to jim rugg. write them or did he just draw them i think he just drew them oh okay yeah. are the yeah. are the comics merely comics that are set in the world of adventure time or are they adaptations of episodes or how are they related so they're it's based on the main characters and they're they're basically like they're they're not adaptations they're they're basically just extra stories that take place in the world of adventure time so i do i do think that there are some things that only the show can do that the comics aren't necessarily able to capture quite the same way because um, yeah. the thing about the comic is when they try to capture how the the eccentricities of the show, it's a little I don't know, like I guess <laughs> tedious, <laughs> you know. Mm. It it doesn't translate well to paper, I guess. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. The other question I had for you was, what do you think made the third season so different from the fourth season? Like, what was it that changed? Um, that made the fourth season more engrossing. So I think once you, uh, so I think as they build up the show, there are a lot of minor details that you think are, are just throwaway details, but as the show progresses and as you get to certain revelations, you begin to see the structure for a long form story. And you even begin to see specific episodes that are, 
really different from what you would expect of just a uh, regular kids cartoon, you know? Um, hmm. Like they begin to experiment with storytelling in ways that are surprising. To They were yeah. certainly surprising to me as a viewer uh, to the point where um, they were communicating complex thoughts and emotions in a way that was simple and in a way that where as a viewer, as an older viewer or a mature, more mature viewer, uh, as you're viewing this, what you're seeing is them ex, uh, communicating these complex thoughts and emotions, even if a child isn't necessarily vocalizing or receptive to it, you know? Got it. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 So did the creators ever explain uh, why it took them so long to get to that point? Um, the way that I understand it is they, they really wanted to spend a lot of time building up the mythology of that world. So the first couple of seasons was really more about them just having fun with the characters and you getting to know just who these people are mm -hmm. and just how they would react in under certain circumstances. But then... Yeah, I guess those first two couple of seasons were kind of superficial in that sense. In that, I guess they were trying to live up to their title then, just having adventures, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But as the show progresses, like they even cover things about the characters' backstory, things that you don't necessarily expect um, them to go over. But well, okay, I'll just. I'll just reveal this. Eventually, in the later seasons, you meet Finn's dad. And over the course of the series, they build him up. Or they don't even build him up. But you know that in Finn's mind, he he pictures his dad being this certain person. And then when you finally meet him, he's basically a huckster, you know? <laughs> and the reason that he's been... he's He's a huckster and a deadbeat. And the reason that he's been missing this whole time is because he's been locked away in prison for, you know, concocting schemes to to get rich. Oh, you know? man. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty so he's, disappointing. He's got dad issues, too, totally, you know? Yeah. All right. I think we're in a good place. Yeah, man. That was fun. I'm definitely looking forward to watching more episodes of Sweet Tooth. I heard that it's been doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm... Um, I checked the internet, and I think they said that there's going to be a season two, but it's also the internet, so I take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Makes yeah. sense, man. This is Between the Gutters. Thanks for listening, everybody. We are signing off now. Have a great rest of your day. Peace out. Peace out.